the fear of learning to ride a bike. You've seen others do it, and you know you want to do the same. But the training wheels are safe. You know they're going to protect you from your fears. But there's this pull from within, a desire to step out by faith and remove those training wheels. Knowing that those very training wheels are barriers to your ultimate desire. Will you trust your father who says, you can do this. I'm right beside you. You have nothing to fear. You remove the training wheels, your source of comfort and safety. You place your life into the hands of the Father. And there's still what, what feels to be a tug of war between faith and safety. But then you decide to go all in, to by faith believe that what the Father says is true, so that you can ride freely into the life Christ has called you into. I was doing a, a celebration of life uh, service yesterday, and, and I was just starting to think about all the different journeys that we go on. I was thinking a lot about my journey with the Lord and, and honoring this person, this person from our church who just, man, just cared, deep, cared deeply for the Lord and his story. And I, and I was just thinking about all the different stories that are represented in our church, all the different stories of people that come in on Sundays. And, and, and I don't pretend to, to, to believe that like, oh, all of you just love Jesus because you came here. No, a lot of you are in different places and have different backgrounds. But I, I think for those of us that, that have come to the knowledge and, and, and placed our faith and our hope and trust in Jesus, uh, there's kind of uh, some, some lanes that, that I feel like represent a lot of us. I think one is, is for like some of you that have a story similar to mine, maybe, uh, where you grew up in a Christian home and your parents, uh, you know, force fed you the Bible and, uh, and you know, you, you went to church and all that. But then through um, different circumstances, you decided, I don't want anything to do with that. And you turned your back on God and walked away. And, and then it was through that journey that you went on that, that you, you came to actually a real and authentic understanding of who Jesus actually was. And then through that journey of, of saying, I don't want anything to do with you, you turned back to him because you were very aware of the need of a rescue. And so you gave your life to Jesus for for some of you, 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 you never knew anything about Jesus. You weren't brought up in a Christian home and, and, and maybe you walked into a, you know, a gymnasium like this or, or a church and, and that was the first time you'd ever heard anything about it. And, uh, or a friend maybe introduced you to who Jesus was. And, and, and it was through this process of, of not knowing at all who he was and yet knowing that you're, you're feeling, man, I'm, I'm discouraged, I'm depressed. Uh, I, I, I don't understand my purpose in life. I don't understand why all these things happen. And it was through all of those questions that then you came to know the Lord. And then I think for others, there's just this, um, you, you maybe grew up in a Christian family and um, you're, you're like, man, honestly, I just, I don't remember when I didn't believe. And you walk through life really believing and, and, and it's been a great ride. And that's just kind of been your story that it's been great uh, with God. And you kind of just adopted uh, the relationship or, or the mindset that your parents uh, and family had. 
And, I, and as, as I think about, you know, our journeys to the Lord, one of the, 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 the moments that we always go back to is that, that point when I said, yes, I want to receive you as my Lord and Savior. And, and also along those lines is the point when, like last week we had baptisms and watching somebody get baptized and they come out of the water. And, and, and for those of you that have been baptized, what an incredible moment, right? To, to make my faith uh, public. But, but one of the things that I've just found over and over again in doing ministry uh, for now, man, many years is that point of I need rescued in receiving Jesus or that point of coming out of the water uh, and celebrating the new life that God has done and created in me is I find that this isn't just where many people start in their relationship and their journey with Christ, but it's also where many people stop. And I'm just finding more and more over and over again, when I talk to people about where they're at with the Lord, they go back to that point years ago. In other words, there's not really any current transformation going. It's like, I'm, I'm, I'm doing, uh, you know, I, I try to read. I, you know, I try to pray when I can. I try to get to church when I can. Uh, schedule's crazy, all these things, right? And, 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 and it's all about, I'm just, I'm just trying to, to almost like keep up a little bit with, I think, the expectations. Uh, but when you, we, when you go back and really talk to someone, it's like, man, that defining moment where you said, I want to go all in with you, Jesus, and receive you as my Lord and Savior, there wasn't really any tangible lasting growth from that. Or, or, or the baptism was the highlight, and it's like, and it's like, hey, what's going on now? And, and I just find that, that so often people have not moved forward with the same passion, the same heart, the same uh, principles, the same mindset that they had when they received him. And I think this explains a lot as to why so many are unfulfilled in their relationship with Christ. I mean, so many people are like, I'm unfulfilled in it, or I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed in my relationship with Jesus. I, I think this also speaks to why so many people have an inconsistent relationship with him. Right? There's many that would say it's not consistent. <laughs> this also explains why, for many, it's a convenient relationship. In other words, when it comes to my life, when it comes to my plans, when it comes to my time, when it comes to my money, when it comes to my family, when it comes to my goals, my relationship with God fits into that. And it fits well. And I figured out how to make it so, so I, I, I'm able to check those boxes while still uh, getting the things that I desire and pursuing the things I want to pursue. And what we see in Colossians chapter 1, and Colossians is just an incredible book, incredible, incredibly rich, uh, is Paul is challenging this church at Colossae with these words. And, and we pick up in Colossians chapter 1, uh, verse 9, and it says this. He says, and, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God 
being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Isn't this beautiful? And then in verse 13, he says, and he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I mean, that's it, right? I mean, isn't that incredible? And, he, and he's saying in here, I, I, my desire as I, as I pray for you, church, as I pray for you consistently, I pray that you would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord and, and that you would walk in a manner that reflects the saving work that Jesus did on your behalf. He reached down, he saved you out of that, brought redemption, brought and delivered uh, forgiveness to you. Just these powerful, powerful words of reconciliation through Jesus But then the next verses in 15 through 18, he describes how this has to translate into our view of Christ. He says, just as you've received it, and just as I pray that that you're growing in your understanding, that you're growing uh, in walking in the ways of the Lord, he goes, listen, I just want to pause for a second because you need to have the right view of Christ. You cannot detach uh, what you're doing, how you're moving forward from the view of Christ that all Jesus' followers have to have. And so what is that? He says in verse 15, he says, he, and he's speaking of Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. And so verse 15, uh, he kind of kicks off. He says, listen, he's preeminent over all of creation. Okay, that term there where it says firstborn of creation, that's not saying first uh, by being created first. No, that's speaking of prominence. Uh, In other words, he is first in priority over all of creation. He is positionally over any and everything that has been created. He is above it. So there's absolutely no created thing that should ever be in the way of him. And then we also read that uh, he's the creator of all things, right? He's not only greater than creation, he's the one who created it. Everything's created by him and then everything's created through his power. It's through him. Uh, John chapter one, verse three, uh, it, it says, all things were made through him and without him was not anything that was made. Then we read that all things were not only created by him and through him, but also for him. So all of creation is by him, it's through him, and then lastly, and most importantly, it's for him. So this is telling us he's the goal. He's the point of all of creation. He is the goal. He's the point. He is the one who's to be glorified through creation. Uh, Romans eleven thirty six. 36, it says, for from him and through him 
and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Wow. And then in Colossians 1.17, it says, he holds it all together. He's the sustainer of all of creation. And then it goes into how he's the head of the body of the church. And head can also be translated as the source or the origin of the source. So he's the head. He's the, the source of the church. He's the originator of the church. He's also the authority of the church. And then it says he's the firstborn of the dead. And what it's highlighting is using that term firstborn again uh, to represent he is, uh, his resurrection was the most important resurrection. That's the resurrection that brought an eternal resurrection possible for you and for me. And then he closes it with that in everything, he might be preeminent. And what this does is it lays out this picture of King Jesus. That seems a little different than how we often view him. And I'm just going to be honest. I didn't know how convicting this was going to be uh, until the first gathering. And I went, this hurts. Like as I was delivering it, man, God was like working on my heart. Oh man, it was, it was, it was tough. And Paul is saying, you guys, this is to be the unquestionable place of Jesus in my life. He is to be on the throne. And, 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 and what he does there in Colossians is he reworks and reshapes my view of absolutely everything. Uh, it's, it's viewing everything that I have as a gift from him. It, it's viewing my family, and I love my family. It's viewing them. It's, it's viewing all three of my, of my boys as a gift from him. One of them was a surprise gift, but... Uh, <laughs> It's looking at all of them and just going, those are a gift from the Lord. It's, it's looking at my spouse and just going, you, you are a gift from the Lord. It's, it's, it's looking at, at the work that he's done in my life and go, that is a gift from the Lord. The opportunities he's given me, a gift from the Lord. Whatever finances I may have, that's a gift from the Lord. Whatever giftings I have, uh, whatever advancements in life, every single one of those things is a gift from the Lord. Whatever ability you have. And so it's realizing uh, that, that, that the blessings that are in our lives, those are only there uh, as, from, from a, as a gift from him, and they've only happened because of the power that is through him. The power that was at work, it's not my power. And it's understanding then that every single one of those things is also for him. All of those things. It's looking at my boys and going, no, I love you so much. You're not mine. You are, you are for him. My role is to be in your life to help direct you to him so that he's glorified by you. That, that, you, that, that Christ is glorified. My, my marriage is, is to, I, I'm to love and to serve my spouse in a way where Christ is glorified. 
where it's, it's giving my spouse back to the Lord. I'm to look at my job, whatever your job may be, as, as an opportunity, as a gift that you get to give back to the Lord. Uh, whatever circumstances, whatever finances, wh- whatever gift is you've been blessed with, it is an opportunity for me to go, uh, God, uh, I, I, I want to glorify you in this. This is the purpose of all of creation. So God, whatever gifts I have, I want you to know they're from you. They're not mine. And and, and Lord, I want you to have them. Whatever that looks like, God, I give them back to you. And so he is the source, the sustainer, and the purpose that in everything he might be preeminent, meaning all of it should ultimately glorify him. And so what this means is I'm no longer looking at my time, uh, my talents, uh, my treasure. I'm no longer looking at it as, as mine and asking, what do I want to do with it? Or, or even asking, what portions uh, do I want to give back to him? Like, like no, it's, it actually wrecks that mindset. Uh, what this says and what it challenges me in is, no, it, it all already belongs to him. It all belongs to him. And so I'm to ask is how I'm viewing it, how I'm stewarding it, is it glorifying him? Is it demonstrating that it's his? And what this is going to do for all of us, which is very uncomfortable, is it pushes against the American Christianity. And that's what makes this so tough and uncomfortable. This is, this is part of the reason, I would even say, because uh, we've learned to just live and operate in this and attach it to our relationship with Christ. But you guys, there is a reason that we have all these studies in the Barna group and all these groups that have studied like Christianity and the slight and the, and the decline and the lack of people going to church, right, in America. But here's what's, here's what's crazy. Christianity in other countries, other parts of the world is exploding. So where's the problem? Oh, Right? Like here we are pretending we're the cream of the crop and they're and overseas. They're like, how do we get missionaries to America? I mean, that's where we're at. And you're like, no, no, I've met them. And I introduced myself and they're like, hey, I'm here. And, and they're like, I'm a missionary. I'm like, well, sweet, where to? And he's like, you. <laughs> I'm like, e-. okay, how did we get here, right? How did this happen? This became a mindset that slowly happened where Jesus became what? Convenient. Uh, he, he works for me, kind of my schedule. I, I, I do enough. And, and, and so for us, he's a, a part of my life, right? We'll say, well, he's a part of my life. He's, he's a portion of it. And, and, I, and I'll say, I even give him a portion uh, of my life. But guess what it really is in reality? For most of us, it's the leftovers. That's really what it is. And you guys, we see this in how we define spending time with him, don't we? I get asked all the time about how do I spend time with the Lord? And one of the questions that comes up is what's, what's enough time? What's enough? How much is enough time to spend with the Lord. Now, when, when I ask what's enough time, I'm actually asking what's the bare minimum amount that I can spend with the Lord while still getting these perceived blessings you're saying I will get if I spend time with the Lord. What, what's enough? 
How often do I need to go to church, Steve? No, really, Steve, tell me. Like three, two out of four, like four. Like, and how often do I need to pray? Oh, and, and it's asked within the framework that's already backwards than how we view our most important relationships in life, isn't it? Isn't that crazy? I mean, like, uh, it, it, it blows me away how over time, just, just because of just the nature and the world that we're in, uh, it has now become, how do I just find time to get the time that I need to make sure whatever it means that we're still good? I just need to get enough time with him. You guys, I'll tell you what, I don't look at any other relationship that is, that's a priority in my life. I don't look at it that way at all. When I, when I look at being a father to my boys, um, I, I have never uh, walked up to my wife and gone, hey, so how often do you think I need to be home just so that they continue to call me their dad? Like, just so that they'll acknowledge it. Like, what, what does that look like? Is it three nights a week? Um, I mean, is it a third of their sporting activity? Like, what, what is that, you know? Like, I've never asked that, ever. I've never even thought that. You know what consumes me? How can I be a better dad? How can I grow closer to them? How can I love them? How can I, right? Like, that's how I approach that relationship. Why in the world is that relationship such a priority to me? And the one, the one and only Savior of the world is like, I get enough. I don't do that in any other, I didn't stand, man, I didn't stand at the altar before my wife and make those vows and be like, whatever is just enough to keep us moving, I will do it. Like, no, I am going to love you. I'm going to say like, all these things, right? And, and, and I think about it. I, I think how I'm doing as a husband, as a father, how am I doing in connection uh, and all of that? I think of some of the really close friends I have in my life and I'm like, man, I need to make time for them. And yet, you guys, I, I just find so often it is, it is the opposite in our relationship with Jesus. It is, I'll just try and figure out how to squeeze him in. I'll try and make sure I get there. I'll, I'll try and get a little bit of time this week. Ah, I, you know, and, and it's just so backwards from how we view the priorities that are in our life. And I've seen this in engaging with church, right? And you, you guys, you can't separate your view of Christ from the church. Like, it doesn't work. We just read in Colossians uh, 1, 8, 18. That, that's not really convenient for that thought, right? It says, and he is the head of the body of the church, <laughs> right? And, and Ephesians 1, uh, Ephesians 2, it, it, it just highlights how he is, he is the cornerstone of the church. Like, he is the foundation. He is the creator of the church. And it is his body. It is his bride. There is no way that I can go, oh, uh, I've got a great relationship with Jesus. Don't like the church. Like, meh. You got some problems there theologically, okay? Uh, because he's the originator. He's the authority of the church. He created the church. And he invites us to be a part of it. And not only that, he says, I'm going to gift you in certain ways just so that my church can flourish. And, and so for whatever reason, we have that same mindset uh, with, with the church as well. And yet he says, no, you're missing it. I'm the originator of the church. I am the chief shepherd. We see this in giving as well. Our giving often has the same mindset as a tip. You know, whatever's left over. Oh, great. I bought that coffee. Oh, there's a dollar bill. Here you go. And it's whatever's left over from all of these other priorities, or I call them these drivers that are in our lives. And that's even if we give. 
Or we just, we just like make a payment to the Lord, right? Like, and, and, you know, we got push pay. Well, that's great. I can just do auto pay, just like my Netflix account. And it just goes. And I'm not going to the Lord over it. I'm not asking God, what do you want this to look like? See, I think one of the things that's so interesting for us is the question, what if Jesus was the driver for all of these decisions instead of the leftovers from all of these other decisions? What if he was the driver? What if he was the priority first? And that's where I went to first before all of these other things. Because here's what's very fascinating, right? And, and, I, and I know we know this to be true. The priorities or those drivers in our life, um, it's, it's, it's almost miraculous how when those demand time of me, I miraculously have time. Right? Like, I'll, I'll just use a, a, an easy example because we're in the middle of uh, sports. Like, three of our boys are all in soccer, and it's just like, we don't know if I'm coming or going. But we, you don't get the... For, uh, a lot of times, you don't even get the schedule for sports like until you've like signed in blood, right? That you're going to do it, and 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 so and 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 literally, uh, and I've experienced this where where like a good friend is like, hey, can we get some time together and do this? And I'm like, man, I got no time. I've got no time. I've got no like, no margin in my life right now. Like, I'm sorry, man. I'll, we'll we'll figure this out. And then all of a sudden, the, my kid's schedule comes out, and guess what? <laughs> I've got time. Where did that come from? It's a miracle, right? No, it's not a miracle. It's I've just defined, unfortunately for my friend, that he is not a driver. He's not a priority, right? I mean, ultimately, that's what I have to answer my friend. I have to say that I have placed that, their schedule, ahead of time with you, right? It's there because I just made time for it. And it's the same thing. It's the same thing in every area of her life. Like, like I'm gonna, I don't know how many times. I've heard, well, I don't have any money. I don't have any money. And all of a sudden, like this opportunity happens for you, your family, or that, and miraculously, you have money. How did that happen? Oh God! Like, uh, like, mm, like, you know what I mean? But these are things that happen in our lives consistently, and we don't pay attention to it. So we just kind of ride with it. But ultimately what happens is we get caught up in a cycle that starts to rearrange the very purpose and the priority of Christ in my life for all of these other things that I'm saying, they're my drivers now. They're my purpose. They're the things that I, I move every other area in my life around in order to uh, accomplish. And so that's why you guys, when you look at the Old Testament, we just went through the book of Judges, a, a gnarly book. Um, but when you look at the Old Testament, you see this whole principle of the first fruits. This was designed by God to make sure that he maintained his proper place in their life. It helped guard them from, from, uh, from drifting off and, and into having these misplaced priorities. And the first fruits, if you're unfamiliar with it, it referred to the first and the best products of the seasonal harvest. Uh, in accordance with Mosaic law, individual Israelites brought to the house of the Lord uh, the choice or, the, or their, the best of their first fruits, uh, which included their soil, their, their grain, their wine, their oil, 
And, and it was uh, to support the, the priests. And, and then according to uh, Leviticus 23, the first sheaf of the new crop of barley was presented as a wave offering before the Lord. In other words, before people consumed any of the harvest, they were to give God the best of the first part of that harvest. If that wasn't done, there wasn't a blessing on the remainder of the crop. And this took place on the, pass, on, the, uh, on the day after the Passover Sabbath, and it was a public acknowledgement. It wasn't like a private thing. It was a public acknowledgement that all came from the Lord and all belonged to him. And so not only were the Israelites, by, by, by engaging in this, by being obedient, not only was it reminding them that the land of Canaan was not theirs, but the Lord's, they were just tenants, but it also continued to remind them that whatever happened as a result of the soil, whatever produce that, that came, that was a blessing, a gift of God's grace for them. And so it was this tangible reminder for them. Uh, symbolically, the giving of the first fruits, it acknowledged God's ownership of the land and of all the crops that would follow. And the book of Proverbs, it, it literally promises uh, prosperity to those who honor the Lord in this way. Uh, in Proverbs chapter three, verses nine and 10, it says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. It says, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with uh, wine. And so it was this perpetual reminder that God gets my first and my best. Every time they did the exercise, God, you get my first and you get my best. And I, I started just reflecting on this as I was studying over this passage. And I was just like, man, what if that mindset was a driver for me? Not like, not like a portion, not like, oh, but, but no, what if that thought was a driver? In all these areas of my life, God, you get my first and my best. You know what I think is so sad about that? I didn't realize it was this sad, but when I think about that question, I look back. I look back. I was just confronted with this. Why do I need to look back? Why can't I answer that today? Why do I have to go back to that time when I was... <laughs> Out of, out, of, out of any, there's no hope. There's no chance. And, and I just, God, all of it's your, I, I belong to you, God. I need you. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Why do I have to go back to there to, to answer that question? Well, I think for a lot of us, we have to go back to those places because we stopped asking the question. I think for a lot of us, we just stopped viewing the Lord like that. And I think that's why Paul is so passionate about the church going, you, if you're going to move forward in this way, you have to have Christ where he and only he needs to be in your life. And you need to be reminded that everything you have is from him, it's through him, and it's ultimately is for him. And you've forgotten that, church. And that's why, you guys, there's warnings, uh, you know, in Scripture around money. It's so interesting. You guys, when you look through Scripture, and some people are like, oh, Scripture teaches money is bad. No, it does not at all. In fact, Scripture teaches so much about money. Like, it's, it's, it's hilarious, and yet we're like, avoid it like the plague, right? Um, but what Scripture does is it warns us about the dangers of money. That's what it does. 
It doesn't say wealth is bad. You got to take out, honestly, like the whole Old Testament if you say wealth is bad, right? There's some wealthy dudes, right? But when we look at what it does, it's this Matthew 6. In Matthew 6, Jesus says these words, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, and this is where it really zones in here and challenges us and says, you need to be warned. It says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye of the lamp, the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one, it says, can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then he finishes with this. You cannot serve God and money. And he's just saying, listen, money has this unique way of pulling us and twisting us in a way that takes our minds and our hearts and our focus off the Lord. Which ultimately means we're focused on what's in front of us, right? We're focused on the temporary things. And he says, no, your mindset is to be completely different from that. And, and in Colossians 3, Paul reiterates where the mindset then has to be. He says in Colossians 3, verse 1, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Isn't this incredible? It, it, it's, it's the challenge, right? Can, can I take my mind off of all of these desires, these wants, these needs, uh, and, 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 and all these things that are in my life right now, even the good things, and can I view it from an eternal perspective? Can I pause for just a minute and go, wait a second, I'm called to reshuffle the deck here. I'm called uh, to have Christ on, his, on the throne of my heart, of my life. All of this is created by him, through him, and for him. So what does that mean? And, and, and what that forces me uh, into, you guys, is, 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 is it challenges us to, to make this, especially for the next month here, uh, you know, it, makes, it causes us to go, this isn't just about this ecclesia generosity initiative. Do not... Let yourself fall into that trap, okay? Regardless if any money came in at all, this is about embracing the life that Christ has called us to. That's it, like that's it. I don't care if you like, yeah, whatever, I don't wanna do that. Like, I don't care. This is all I care about. This is all I care about because ultimately this is all I'm held accountable to. And, 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 and so, you guys, this is for all of us, myself included. This is about reshuffling the deck of my mind and my heart and asking with everything that is in me, everything in my life, uh, and, and, and what is consuming my heart and my mind, am I, am I going before the Lord with that? And, and am I asking, and I, am I viewing it as it's from him, it's through him, and it's for him? I'm telling you guys right now, if we did that, <laughs> if we asked him that question, and we started moving forward 
rearranging everything with him there. There is absolutely no building that could contain what God would do in and through us. The, the 7.5 number, the million, I mean, that is like chump change for the Lord. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He can do whatever he wants, whenever. That is chump change if I'm asking that. If I'm living in this way, our ministry output into this community is, is, is gonna be oh, crazy. The college students, the, the impact you could have on your campus is unbelievable. The school systems, the local school systems in that, uh, the local businesses that are here, uh, the, the different activities and, and the sports that, that happen in our community, it would be transformed. Because, and not only would it be transformed through the work that he would do in this community, but he would transform you. Like, like, I don't understand how we can view this as a negative when we just read uh, what we read in, in verses uh, literally 13 and 14. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That is case closed. His plans are amazing. What he's done is already uh, amazing. And so I know by the authority of scripture that if I will take everything before him and, 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 and evaluate and go, God, how am I stewarding this as from you, through you, and for you? I know what that's gonna do. And you know what it's gonna do in me? I'll tell you this right now. It's gonna make me the best father I could be. See, we think we have to sacrifice. No, what's, what's so backwards about this and what our culture has lied to us is if you elevate these other priorities, your life's gonna be better. And that's not the case. We're in unparalleled times of, of mental health. I mean, you wanna, I could, I could go all day on, on what we're facing here, okay? But when we reshuffle the deck, what I have found is that when he is in that spot, in that seat, on that throne, I'm the best dad I can be. When he is in that seat, on that spot, in the throne, I'm the best husband that I can be. And you know what? When he's in that spot and when I'm evaluating everything like that, and God, you are my first and my best, I'm the best pastor that I could possibly be. And you know what, you guys? That is what he wants to do in and through your life. That's it. He is doing an incredible work in you. And what I found is, man, we have so many Christians, Christians who are stressed, indebted, anxious, because over time, we've just slowly made things outside of Christ our driver. It's become what we're choosing to glorify. This, whatever it may be, has become my point and my purpose and for change to truly occur, it's gonna take more than Jesus being a tagline in my life, more than a tattoo, more than something I do. He's, he's, he doesn't wanna be your hobby. He doesn't wanna be your rabbit's foot. He doesn't wanna be your insurance policy. He wants to be your everything. And Colossians could be not, it couldn't be clear. And that's what the invitation to receive him is, you guys. That's the invitation. It's a complete surrender of everything. And it doesn't mean you're perfect. It doesn't mean you have it all together and that you have all the answers. It means that your priorities have been reestablished. They've been turned upside down. Everything is now by him, through him, and for him. And so the question we have as a church is, will we engage with him in a way that we never have before to where we can say, Jesus, you are my first and my best. And so... 
church, I, I, as we go on this journey, I just want to challenge you with this thought. I want to challenge you with where is he at in your life? And is there something that you're putting above him right now? Because, you know, we got this commitment card. Yippee. Awesome. Great. And we want you to be praying over that. But at the end of the day, um, we can talk about by faith all we want. But if Jesus isn't in his proper place, you're going to miss the whole thing. We have to start by putting him on the throne in our hearts and our lives. That's where it starts. And so you guys, I want to ask you, was there ever a real starting point where you did that? And the second thing I want to ask is, when did you stop doing that? And I want us to go to the Lord with that. If we've never started with that, let's make a decision to receive him as your Lord and Savior. If, if you stopped, then let's ask why. Let's go to the Lord and allow him to do and to rebuild and to rework what he wants to rework. Amen? Let's, let's pray.